Okay, um, let's read from Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6. And we'll begin at verse 5, where Jesus says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And then uh, moving over into chapter 7, we get uh, the bit about judgment. So let's just read that. Matthew 7 verse 1. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way as you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if his son asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven Give good gifts to those who ask him. So in everything you do to others, in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Well, amen, and thank God for his word. Uh, this uh, last talk, um, we've entitled it, Don't Lose Your, your Keys, Your Keys for uh, Getting In and Living in the, the Father's Love, Living in the Father's uh, House. I didn't really know what to call it because um, I, when it comes to my own preaching back home, I never really know very much in advance what what I'm going to speak on. And um, it sort of reminded me when Anne asked, requested titles for the talks, it reminded me of um, the Queen Mother actually came to our church a couple of times in Thurso. She used to go up to Caithness a lot for our holidays and she would go around the different churches so it wasn't we were particularly favoured. And... Um, but if she was coming to your church, you had to let them know about six months in advance 
what were the hymns and what were the readings and what would you be speaking about and so on and so forth. I think it was more their nervousness than hers because um, she had a genuine Christian faith and that was very obvious when she uh, came to worship when she was up north. But uh, it, it sort of made me feel that Queen Anne was a bit similar here, that she needed to know, sort of, uh, uh, she needed to know a few months in advance what I was going to speak about. So, uh, so I threw out this title about keys, you know, uh, and I didn't really know what I was going to say about it. It just seemed a good idea at the time. And um, this week I couldn't remember why it was a good idea at the time. But so whether what I said a few months ago is anything that bears any resemblance to what I'm going to say now, I'm not terribly sure. But I, but I, I do want to talk about keys for, for living in the, the Father's love, keys uh, for, for living in that house. Um, I, I, I used to talk more about the Father's love. I think it was more in vogue, if you like, in the 90s than maybe it is um, now. Um, but what I found as that thing became popular was that quite often um, it, it was almost entirely presented along the lines of inner healing. It was usually presented by people who'd had a, a very dysfunctional background. And when it came to speaking about the Father's love, therefore all the emphasis seemed to be more on, on inner healing, the sort of thing we've been talking about this morning. But actually that's not all that there is to, to living in the Father's house. Do, do you remember what Jesus said about himself? He said, um, I, I obey my Father's commands and so abide in his love. And if you obey my commands, you'll live in my love. You'll abide in my love. You know, I was talking about having grown up children in the house, and um, it's not that uh, I would cease to love them if they sort of disobeyed the house rules, as it were. But there are rules for living in the house. There are rules for abiding in the house. And uh, if relationships are to be kept uh, good and sweet and full of peace and harmony, then these rules need to be observed. I hope you hear the distinction I'm making that we can break all the rules and God would still love us. The Father would still love us. But there's a difference between being loved by the Father and living in the harmony and the fruits and the benefits and the experience of that love. And if we want to live in the house, then there are house rules that we can actually obey. There are keys that we need in order to be able to access the rooms and and live in the Father's love. It's not that you need to get his love. It's not that you need to earn his love. It's not that you need to get his attention. It was interesting on the way down here, uh, on the plane behind me, there was a couple of young people. Uh, and their whole conversation, it was very obvious listening from a sort of spiritual, psychological point of view, that they were trying to establish their worth with each other. And, and you know what their worth came down to? This was astonishing. The worth of, I think it was the boy came down to this, that his mum had been in a jacuzzi with Martin Clunes. I mean, isn't that incredible? And the girl, her, her worth came down to this, that her uncle had played golf with Hugh Grant. And it was almost pathetic if it wasn't so funny. And then to crown that, her mother had been at a party with George Clooney. 
And it was as though the boy just had nothing to compare with that. And the conversation just went quiet. You, you don't need to fight for significance before the father. You, you don't need to try and establish your worth. You know, thinking back to the Queen Mum when she came up to Caithness, I remember walking her out of the church through the churchyard into the car and so on, and there was this man jumped out in front of us and said, Ma'am, do you, do you have a horse called such and such? And she said, Yes, I do. And he said, Well, my cousin works in the factory that makes the feed for your horse. And, and she nodded very politely, and, and then she walked on and she actually said to me, isn't it extraordinary, the connections that people try and make? <laughs> you, you don't need to have connections to be loved by the Father. You're already loved, you're already valued, you already have significance, and we don't need to earn that or fight for it. But you get the distinction. If you want to live in the felt experience of his love, then there are keys for living in the house and that we dare not lose and can't ignore. I, I think if you want to pursue the, the theme of the Father's love and what it actually means and how to live in that love, then there's, there's two places you can go. You, you can either read through the, the Gospel of John because almost every chapter in John's Gospel is is simply Jesus unfolding his relationship with the Father. Do you remember towards the end of John's Gospel that John actually says, well, this is why I wrote what I wrote. Obviously, it was under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But out of all that I could have written, I wrote these things that you might believe Jesus is the Son of God. And that through believing, you might find life in his name. Remember what I said at the start, what his name means. It means who somebody really is. So when John talks about finding life in Jesus' name, he, he means find your life here in the Son of God and the relationship he has with the Father. So if you want to know what that looks like, read John's Gospel. But it seems to me another place that we can look at to find keys for living in the Father's house is actually the Sermon on the Mount. There's quite a lot of talk here about the Father there's quite a lot of talk here about what the father's children look like and sound like and, and live like and what the father actually asks and some of the, the rules for living in the house if we want to live in the harmony and full experience of his love. And so I thought it might be worthwhile just sort of don't lose your keys, don't forget your keys and uh, just in the time available, just to suggest a few keys for living in the father's house that we can't uh, ignore uh, and uh, I want to stick to my notes because uh, I made a, a mistake last time. I, I spoke for a lot longer than I meant and didn't leave enough time for ministry. So if I stick to my notes this time, hopefully there'll be more time for, for prayer. I want to tell you some keys in just a random order from the Sermon on the Mount and uh, no, particular, no particular order. Uh, first, uh, a trust in the goodness of God. A trust in the goodness of God. Uh, no matter what is happening in your life. Do you remember that's what we read from Matthew 7 there um, at the end, that uh, if we, we're, we're evil, yet we know how to give good gifts to our children. So how much more will the, the Heavenly Father uh, give good gifts to, to his children? 
It was there in the teaching on, on prayer as well. Do you remember? We, we don't need to babble on about things like the pagans because our, our father actually knows. He's a good father and he knows the needs of his children. It seems to me that trust in the father's goodness, faith in his goodness, regardless of what is happening in our life, is a real key to living in the, the father's house and living in the father's love. That doesn't mean there's no whys. Um, some of you have been very good over the years, actually, at praying for, for me and my family, as well as for my, my, my own health. And that some of you I don't know and have not met before. So at the risk of, of going over old material and being as brief as I can, um, actually, we had a really difficult ministry when we were in the north of Scotland. It was a very blessed ministry, but it was, it was difficult. And uh, particularly, it was, it was difficult for my children. And uh, it ended up my, my son uh, being bullied to the extent we had to take him away from school. There were, there were court cases. There was violence against their property. There was uh, violence against us physically, just uh, personally, and so on. And it was, a, it was a difficult time. And it all came because God was at work and people were being converted. Can you imagine this? I'll not tell you the MP's name and, uh, because I think um, that wouldn't be right. But uh, the M I, I came home from holiday once and there was, a, there was a letter from the House of Commons. This was the MP expressing concern that in his constituency I was asking people to follow Jesus Christ and to give their lives to him. And he actually wrote to the church headquarters to complain. And... Um, the church headquarters sent a letter back, can you believe this, saying we are concerned to hear this too. That will show you something <laughs> of the way it is in the Church of Scotland. You thought it was bad in the Church of England? Well, <laughs> that's like the brethren compared with the Church of Scotland, I tell you. And um, so it was, a, it was a difficult, difficult time. And I remember before it happened that God gave me a dream. I had no idea this was going to happen. And then I was praying one night and um, God gave me a dream or a vision stroke dream and I saw myself with my, my armor very tattered and um, I was kneeling before him with deep cuts in my armor and um, Jesus seemed to come and raise me up and, and give me new armor and a new sword and so on and so on. And uh, then I heard him ask me a question. Will you be content with a secret vindication? And I had no idea why I was asking that. And then from the, I said, yes, Lord, I will be, so long as I'm, I'm doing your will and not doing anything stupid. And, um, and then I said to him, but, but Lord, I've never suffered for you, and I hadn't, because, well, you've heard something of my background, wonderful parents and Christian background and so on. I'd never suffered for the Lord. And I said, and I knew this was an image of suffering. And I said, but Lord, I've never suffered for you. And there was no answer to that. I do believe God speaks and you can hear him and hear his silence. And there was just silence in that one. And again, the question, will you be content with a secret vindication? And the trouble started two days later. And it went on for seven years. And it was a difficult, difficult time. I, I saw the destruction of my son's personality. By the age of 17, he wouldn't come out of his room until it was dark because he didn't want to see anybody. 
his prospects in terms of jobs were just ruined. He'd come to faith at 10 years old, and then when all this started six months later, he, he said he didn't believe anymore. Because if God is good, then something bad is happening to you, and you ask God to make it stop, and it doesn't stop. Well, for a 10-year-old's logic, that's it. It was really, really hard to hold on to the goodness of God. It's really hard when you see your loved ones suffering. And when you see no earthly reason for it. And no goodness that can come out of it. I'm not comparing our time of suffering at all. But I, I found great comfort in these years, actually. It sounds strange. But to, to read books by Richard Wurmbrandt, for example... And he speaks about when he was suffering in solitary confinement in Romania. And he speaks specifically about this. The number of times that what he reasonably asked God for was just never given. That he would be beaten a bit less. That there would be a bit more food. And these prayers were not answered. But then he said this, alone in my cell at night, I danced for joy before God. That somehow in the midst of all the whys, he was able to hold on to God's goodness. And at the end of that time of suffering, when, when it was over for him, he, he was led into a room through one door. He thought his wife had died and she thought he'd died. That's what they'd been told. And they led his wife through another door into the same room. And as she ran to meet him, he just held up his hand and said, Stop. I want the world to know I'm coming from the joy of Christ in prison to the joy of Christ in freedom. Friend, he's, he's, he's beyond where I am. But I'm challenged by people like that to where I need to go. That regardless of what happens, and regardless of what reasonable prayers don't seem to be answered, my Father is good, and he's good all the time. And I'm just so grateful, and I, I felt it was worth just bringing you up to date, because some of you have actually prayed for our David for years. And just in the last year and a bit, his faith has come roaring back. There was no sign of that happening. And then just all of a sudden, God did it. He has dreams about God. He has experiences about God. He works in a supermarket. He's still not got the confidence to try for anything more. But he was saying to one of his work colleagues there, a little girl called Amy, he was saying, Amy, I mean, what have you got to lose? Jesus is the light of the world. You could have that light in you as well. He's bearing witness more than most I know. And somehow, though, I couldn't see any purpose and still can't see any purpose in a lot that happened. I'm seeing the goodness of God prevail in David's life. 
So I think for me, and it's hard to hold on, but these are not difficult, these are not easy keys, as it were. Just hold on to that key, that, that God is good, and he's good all the time. And he is a good father who loves to give good gifts uh, to his children. I, I guess we're talking really, uh, when it boils down to it, about, about trust. Trust that even in the dark moments, something good of the purposes of God is being accomplished. You know, that's a lesson that I actually see, and this is what humbles me about living in Wester Hills and working in Wester Hills. We, we run what we call Cafe Church, which is just basically a, a sort of wee gathering on a Wednesday. We have a community cafe, and on a Wednesday we just stick up our hand and and say, if anybody wants to gather around this table and talk about God, well, that's what we're going to do in the next half hour or the next hour. And you know, I've heard the most amazing stories there from the most marginalized of people. I've found that every single one of them that comes to that table at some time in their life is at an experience of the goodness of their Heavenly Father. And they'll actually say now to any newcomer, without any sort of, without any qualms at all, this is their opening question to any newcomer. So tell us, when did God come into your life? And they assume that everybody will have a story to tell of how the goodness of God met them at their darkest moment. And so I think of the, the last time we met as a, as a wee group. There was maybe only about six of us there that day. It can, it can easily be sort of 15 or 20. Then it can go down to two. This will, this will show you something of the character of Wester Hales, that, that somebody will all of a sudden, somewhere in the parish, arrange a card game for the same time as Cafe Church. And guess what? Half of Cafe Church disappears. And uh, you think, should we rearrange and... No, it's okay, because two weeks later they've all fallen out with one another and they're, they're back at Cafe Church again and so on and so forth. But I'm thinking about the last time I met. I'm thinking, of, for example, about somebody called Derek who was in a, a mental health hospital about to commit suicide. And he looked through a door and saw utter darkness and the voice of God saying to him, you're not ready to die yet. Encountered the goodness of God right at his very darkest moment. I think of Willie, who's in his 40s. He's been in prison for a combined total of 21 years. There's been um, many years when he wasn't out the house at all. But somebody phoned him up and asked him to Cafe Church. And he's there every week. And somebody asked him the question, when did you first encounter God? And he said, it was when I was in prison and I'd taken a hostage and I held them in my cell for a month with a knife at their neck. And I encountered God in that cell at that moment. I'm thinking about Andy, 
who started to speak about the night that his friend had murdered somebody. And he said, you know, when we went out that night, he said, I said this to the police. He said, I, I felt when we went out that night, there was evil in the air. And the police said to me, it would surprise you, Andy, how often people tell us that. And his friend went ahead and murdered somebody. And that was the point at which God broke into Andy's life and said, you've got to get right with me. And I'm offering you the chance to do that. I think what I'm discovering in Wester Hills is that right at the darkest moments of human experience, God's goodness is still there. And that goodness can break through. It's true for his lost children, like these people in the cafe, discovering the goodness of God for the first time in their lostness. But if it's true for the lost children, how much more true is it for the found children, those who are in the family? We really, really need to hold on to our trust in the goodness of God if we want to, to live in the Father's house. A, a writer I like is Brennan Manning, and he says this. He said, trust, it's a prayer that he prays to God. Trust, that's what it comes down to, isn't it? putting all my eggs in your basket, the one that says I'm accepted and loved beyond measure, even if I'm inadequate, insecure, mistaken, or pot-bellied, even if death, depression, and disillusionment are as close to me as my own breath. Trusting you means that I am not those things. Faith means believing that I am who you say I am, your beloved, fearfully and wonderfully accepted Father. There's the first key, just at random. I'm not saying first in terms of importance, but just one of the keys that I want to pick out of the, the Sermon on the Mount. Keys for, for, for living in the house. Fear not, little flock, if you like. Trust in the, the, the Father's goodness. Sometimes we don't know what's going on. Sometimes it looks as though nothing's going on. I, I was thinking back even just as recently as Easter Saturday. If you looked at Easter Saturday, it looked as though nothing was happening. Jesus had been killed on the Friday, he was lying dead in the tomb. But in First Peter, it tells us something was happening. That right at that moment, there was a harrowing of hell. He was preaching to imprisoned spirits. From the outside, it looked as though nothing was going on. But something was happening. I wonder if right now you feel, well, nothing's shifting, nothing's moving. Can you trust in the goodness of the ongoing purposes of God for your life, that something really is happening. And sometimes that means you have to wait a bit for that to break through. Heaven's not perfect, you know that. Heaven's not perfect. Sometimes we think everything's perfect in heaven, it's not. There are people that are actually there in heaven complaining to Jesus, how long? How long, O oh Lord, until you avenge us? How long? Heaven's not perfect. And maybe as in heaven, so on earth. Maybe some of us today have that feeling, well, how long? Well, that's a heavenly feeling. 
It's a feeling that's there in heaven. Lord, when are you going to put this right? When are you going to break in? When are you going to do something? How long, O oh Lord? Do you know that Jesus has never been vindicated publicly? Oh, he's been vindicated to those who love him. When he was raised from the dead, they saw him, but he was never allowed to march in before the Sanhedrin or Pilate and say, ha ha, it's me. I was right, you were wrong. He's never been vindicated publicly. For Jesus, justice isn't complete yet. But one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess he really wasn't his Lord. Maybe you're waiting. Things haven't worked out yet. Hold on to the goodness of God. Things really do work out right in the end. You've maybe heard the story of a missionary who had uh, served in Africa and in the course of uh, that service he'd lost everything. He'd lost his family, he'd lost his wife. And then the time came for him to, to come back home to America. And I can't remember, it was one of the American presidents who was the one that was into hunting. Was that Roosevelt or something? And he'd been over hunting in Africa and uh, and the missionary got on the same boat as President Roosevelt, if that was the president. And there was a band there to play him off. There was nobody there to say cheerio to the missionary. They got to America. There was a band there to welcome the president, nobody to welcome the missionary. The, the president was whisked off to, I suppose, some luxurious place. And the, the missionary knelt that night in a cheap run-down bed and, bed, bed and breakfast. And, and he said, Lord, I'm, I'm not complaining, but, but I don't understand. I gave everything for you. I don't understand. And he heard God speak. The father just said to him, but missionary, you're not home yet. All the accounts aren't necessarily settled in this life. But even for that, can you hold on to the goodness of God? that wrong really will be right when Aslan comes in sight. So trust, trust in the, the goodness of your father. It's a, a key thing for living in the father's love and just in the father's uh, delight and the experience of that. Uh, some other things from the Sermon on the Mount that are they're equally, they're, they're not easy keys to handle these. Um, wh what about for, forgiveness? For Forgiving those who've sinned against us. I, I, I've, I've been challenged lately that um, for, for many years I've been giving the wrong teaching about prayer because I was so, um, I don't know, just so eager to encourage people to pray that I would just say, just pray in your own words, pray anyway, just just do something, say something. And, and God really challenged me about that by by helping me to see that it's his son had actually taught us how to pray. There were lessons to learn about prayer. He says, for example, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your father who's in secret. But, but there's other lessons as well. Do you remember the only part of the Lord's Prayer that Jesus actually commented on after he'd taught 
people to pray the Lord's Prayer. He specifically talks about forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who've trespassed against us. And he says, if, if you don't forgive your brother from your heart, well, neither will your father forgive you your sins. It seems to me very clearly that another key for living in the felt experience of the father's love is just the issue of forgiveness. Passing on the forgiveness of God to other people. I think it's R.T. Kendall that says total forgiveness is the hardest thing that we ever have to do. And I'm not rushing anybody into that today, but I just wonder, could this be a key that you're not using? Could this be a key that you need to use? Is this one of the house rules that you need to observe? in order to live in the full felt experience of the Father's love for you. It is difficult, but somehow when we look at things through the Father's eyes, it's, it's strange how we begin to see things differently. I was thinking, for example, of Peter and John, and that they, they've just raised the cripple in, in Acts chapter 3, and and on the basis of that, they preach to the crowd that gathers and they talk about Jesus being crucified and that they're so kind in the way that they put it. We know that you and your leaders acted in ignorance. That's such a kind outlook. And it's almost like something in me wants to shout out, I, I don't think they were acting in ignorance. I think they knew what they were doing. I feel the same when I listen to Jesus himself speaking from the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And part of me wants to disagree with Jesus and say, but they know fine well what they're doing to you. Somehow when you're living as a loved child, you see things in a kinder way. I really, really struggled with a friend of mine who had, I, I said to you that we didn't have much money as a, a family growing up and so on and so forth. And there was a, a couple of times when my, my, my family were really, really, my mum and dad especially, they were, they were really down in their uppers. And um, I didn't have the wherewithal to help them. But my friend did, and he knew about the situation. And on neither occasion did he do anything. He was wealthy, he was a minister, but he didn't need his minister's salary. To, he had a lot of inherited wealth and so on. And, it, and he did nothing to help. And it was only, a, I think it was only about six months ago that I, I thought, Lord, I've really got to, I've got to get this right. He's dead now, he's in glory. But sometimes you have to face issues of forgiveness after a person is gone. And I, and I brought that into the Father's presence. And with his help, I started looking at, I just started looking at it in a kinder way. He'd never been in financial need himself. And he just didn't understand those who were. And somehow I saw it in a kinder way. Is there an issue where you've been wronged 
Uh, and it, to me, that just looked like straight wrong that this friend had done or he'd not done what he could have done or whatever. But somehow when I brought it into the Father's presence, I could see how Jesus was able to look with a greater degree of kindness in what was being done to him on the cross. I could see that they didn't really understand, that they didn't really know. Friends, I, I could talk an awful lot more about forgiveness. It could be a, it, it could be a, a sermon in its own, a full sermon in itself. But I, I just wonder: is there an issue of forgiveness that some of us need to face up to in order to live in the full experience of the Father's love? What, what about other issues? Let, let me just mention two or three more, and then we'll we'll pray just just very quickly and and randomly. There's there's a whole lot of them, but let me just mention uh, two or three more. What about things like anger and judgmentalism? J Jesus clearly saw anger as something very serious. There can be a righteous anger. We do, we don't need to spend time going down that route. But, but anger that's not right, he, he actually saw it on the same road as murder. Is there a, an anger in our life that we actually need to deal with? I've mentioned to you how I really like um, Henry now, and I've said that a few times. And, and uh, on a couple of occasions in his life in the 1970s, he actually spent a few months uh, on a couple of occasions in a monastery and uh, I think it was in New York area somewhere. And uh, in that situation, he said, everybody was so nice to him. Everybody was so incredibly kind to him. And it was only when everybody was being really nice and really kind that he began to see that he himself had a problem with his own anger. And it was nothing to do with what anybody was doing because everybody was being kind and everybody was being nice. But he found there was still an anger within him. And this is what he says. He said, it is not simply he or she. It is simply me. I am the source of my own anger and no one else. If I am angry, I now have a perfect chance to look at its source and its deepest roots in this setting. And then he says, this is, is my heart a place where other people could meet with God. He says this, Today I imagine my inner self as a place crowded with pins and needles. When I am so full of preoccupations, jealousies, angry feelings, anyone who enters will get hurt. To pray for others means to offer a hospitable place where I can really listen to their needs and pains if I had a gentle interiority, a heart of flesh and not of stone, a room with some spots on which one might walk barefooted, then God and my fellow human beings could meet each other there. Friends, have you got a gentle interiority? Or as you look at other people, does there tend to be an anger? Does there there tend to be a judgmentalism. It's interesting that sometimes we don't stop and answer Jesus' questions. Why, 
Why do you see the speck in your brother's eye? I actually find myself realizing, actually, I've never answered that question. I've read that verse many times, but why have I never thought of the answer? Why, why do I see the speck in my brother or sister's eye? And I actually began to realize that the way I speak or the way I see people, the eyes are a window of the soul. They, saw, they show what's actually going on in your own interior space. They show what's going on in your own soul. If, if I don't believe I'm fully loved and fully accepted, if I believe that God is looking upon me with judgment and criticism, I'm going to look at others with judgment and criticism. If I believe secretly that God is disappointed or angry with me, I'll start looking on others with anger or disappointment. Is, is there a judgment or an anger about you? And you actually need to say, you know what? This is nobody's responsibility but mine. To deal with it and to find an answer to it. And the final key is simply living a righteous life in obedience to God's commands. Do you remember me saying at the start that sometimes when the Father Heart of God teaching is presented, it's all about inner healing. It's all about where we need to be healed and loved and consoled by the, the love of the Father. Actually, a big part of our healing is just deciding to live according to the Father's ways and making the decision not to sin and making the decision to live in a righteousness. Remember in the Sermon on the Mount, we're told that we must have a righteousness that exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees. There are ways that we're to walk in. There are commands that we're to obey. And you know what I'm beginning to see now? That often this theme that we've presented in terms of inner healing, there needs to be an equal emphasis on repentance. The Father, actually, the reason I'm not fully aware of your love is I'm not keeping the house rules. And I'm walking in independence. And I'm walking in disobedience. And I want to say sorry, Father. And I want to repent. And I want to die to self and to sin. And I actually want to live for you. You know, when you read the stories of those whom God has, has really used, I don't mean just in a temporary way for a, a season of 20 years of renewal or something like that. I mean those that have influenced generations to come. Then so often you find that there's been a point where they've simply entered into a deeper obedience and a deeper repentance. And I suppose I want to end by asking this. We've, we've talked about the Father's love and sometimes the difficulties about that love breaking through. But, but I just want you to be honest about this. Are you actually living as his son? Are you actually living as his daughter? Are you actually walking in his ways? Remember what Jesus said, I obey the Father's commands and therefore I abide in his love. I remain 
in his love. Let me just give you one example of somebody that God greatly used, Reese Howells, who established the Bible College in Wales and whose prayers and the prayers in that college actually altered the course of the the Second World War. And uh, God came to him at a time when he was already a Christian, but he wasn't living in obedience to God. And he already knew a measure of God using him, but he sensed there was more. And God came to him quite, quite simply and presented him with this ultimatum that he had until a certain day and a certain hour and a certain minute to decide, are you really going to live for me? Are you really going to allow yourself to go down into death? so that thereafter your only reason for living is to do my will. And this is what he says. He said, I had received a sentence of death as truly as a prisoner in the dock. I had lived in my body for 26 years, and could I easily give it up? Who could give his life up to another person in an hour? Why does a man struggle so much when death comes? If it is easy to die. I think this is the forgotten truth and why the church is so powerless even where we believe in the power of God. The forgotten truth of death to self and obedience to the Father's will. And so I guess I'm wanting to ask at the end of the day and and give you the opportunity again of just being real before your father that there may be influences from your childhood. There there may be experiences of significant relationships where there's been hurt and it's caused difficulties in terms of intimacy and and the idea of closeness to God. But, But can I ask you also to consider this? Is the problem not from the father's side? But actually, you know what? I'm not really living as his son. I'm not really living as his daughter. And I hear what you're saying, Jesus. If I want to really abide in the Father's love, I need to obey his commands. I need to have a righteousness that exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees. I need to stop judging. I need to stop feeling angry. I need to start forgiving. I need to start trusting in your goodness rather than complaining all the time. Is there a death to self that God is asking of you? saying, Father, from this moment, I have no independent life of my own. I've been bought with a price. I don't belong to myself anymore. I belong to you. I belong to him who who loved me and who gave himself for me.
and I repent of my independence. I repent of the years of which I've spoken about this mystery that I can't receive the love of God or feel the love of God. I see actually the problem's me. And I choose to take the keys. And I choose to live by the house rules. And I make the necessary choices to live and abide in your love. Why don't we just bow in the presence of God for a moment? Now, please, as we, as we bow our, our heads in the presence of God, can take the three talks together. That there may be some of us, and it really is the significant relationships, and, and I don't want anything I've just said in the last 10 minutes to undo anything that God may have said or begun in the previous sessions. But I do want to end with where I ended there. Is there just a need to come into a fresh commitment to the Father? That the, the problem really is, whatever the other problems might be, there, there is stuff I'm needing to put right. I, I'm needing to make the choice to live as a child of this Father. There's some things I'm needing to confess. There's some things I'm needing to forgive and of. There's, there's some things I, I, there's maybe a choice facing me of saying, Father, I want to really live as one who's been crucified with Christ and raised to a new life. And I want to really live as one who's died to self and sin. And as one who's been made alive to God and to righteousness. I don't just want to be a forgiven sinner. I actually want to live as your son. And live as your daughter. And do the things that you command. And abide in your love. So why don't we just take a couple of minutes, again in silence. Is there an issue that you're skirting around the edge of, as it were? And God in love is saying to you, don't, don't put it off another day dealing with this. It's been bothering you for months, for years. It's been sullying our relationship and your experience of my presence and my love. Why not just surrender? And say, Father, I want to do your will. I want to be an obedient son. I want to be an obedient daughter. Father, 
your will, not mine, because I've been bought with a price. Not by anything perishable, such as gold or silver or precious stones, but by the precious blood of a lamb, by the precious blood of your son, a lamb without blemish. I've been bought for you, Father, an incredible price. So friends, don't go digging. It's never a good idea. You'll never come to an end of, of things that Satan will show you to condemn you. But just without digging too far, is there something you know? I've, I've just got to put this right today with God. And ministry can't do it. Prayer by other people can't do it. It's... It's me that must choose. And maybe God's saying to you, well, ministry's good and prayer's good, but there's also issues where you must choose, my child. Nobody can make the choice for you. You must choose. And all I can do is testify by personal experience that when you choose to yield in obedience and deal with an issue, then somehow you do experience the joy of the Father's intimacy in a way that seemed to be blocked. It's not the love is conditional. But the experience of his closeness can be sullied by wrong choices and by sin. So 30 seconds, is there something that you just need to deal with before you leave this place? And I'm just going to ask the, the prayer team to come forward again. And um, it may be that um, you'll see that up here there's a, a cross and um, there's also a, a way round uh, to the cross if steps are difficult for you. There's a, a slope up to the cross to my right, to your left. And it may be that some of us either instead of or as well as would like to just come and spend a moment before the cross and say, Father, I've been bought with a price. I'm not myself, my own any longer, and I want to yield in obedience to you in this specific matter, whatever it may be, and just give God that word of repentance and ask for help to live as his child, as his son, as his daughter. So as well as um, offering prayer from other people, then there's that opportunity as well just to be in your own for a moment before the cross and, and just deal with something. It may be after that you then want to receive prayer from uh, the ministry team, and, and that's uh, fine. 
So this is the sort of final session, just to receive prayer or, or to stand before the cross. And let's just take the opportunity to do that. So if the, the prayer ministry team can come out, that would be great. And just be available. And um, if you do want people to pray for you, that's fine. Please don't let anything I've said discourage that. Maybe something even from earlier today you still want prayer for. But maybe some of us do just want to come and it's not really prayer we want. I just want to spend that moment before the cross and yield afresh to Jesus. Well, just take time and do that if you want to do that.